Hello everyone and welcome to the Conqueror's Podcast, episode 4.1, Land of the Nile. For our first two conquerors, we focused on ancient Mesopotamia, the prime contender for the title, location of the cradle of the first civilization, from the rise of the first farming communities to the rise of the great city of Babylon itself and its empire. For our next two great conquerors, the podcast will take us to another land as ancient as Mesopotamia and, in my opinion, its main contender for the title, Ancient Egypt. I'll start by saying that this episode will be a very, very, very short summary of Ancient Egypt, a civilization that lasted for more than 2,500 years that can be divided to at least eight periods, each of whom could have its own podcast. If any of you are interested in learning far, far more about ancient Egypt, I would recommend listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Now, I just want to give you an idea on how ancient Egypt really was. If you were to take Cleopatra and the Pyramids of Giza, two of the most famous topics that come to mind when you hear ancient Egypt, just know that Cleopatra lived closer to our time than the construction of her kingdom's greatest monuments. Actually, by the time of Sargon the Great, the first great conqueror of this podcast, the pyramids were more than 250 years old. Being that the Homo sapiens originated in Africa, and from there spread to the rest of the world, human presence in Egypt far predated that of the other early centers of civilization, going back to more than 600,000 years ago. At that time, Egypt was far cooler and lush than it would be during later eras and in the present. Slowly, however, the temperatures rose and the Sahara Desert expanded, pushing humans closer and closer to the major water source of that area, the Nile. Even back then, as it would be for the ancient and modern-day Egyptians, the lifeline of Egypt was the Nile. It provided water, food, various materials that grew by its banks, and of course, a route for transportation. And unlike the Tigris and the Euphrates, the Nile was far milder and more predictable. Its reliably timed flooding brought with it rich soil. And just like the Tigris and the Euphrates were to the Mesopotamians, the Nile would shape Egyptian society and civilization. Another important aspect of Egypt I will mention is the division of Egypt into Upper and Lower Egypt, the Lower and Upper being relative to the flow direction of the Nile, with Lower Egypt stretching from the Mediterranean to the area of modern-day Cairo and was mostly composed of the Nile Delta, while Upper Egypt stretched to its south up to modern-day Aswan. This division was prominent from the very beginning of ancient Egypt, as from the very start, the king or pharaoh of Egypt, after the unification of the two lands, took the title Lord of the Two Lands, or of the Sedge and Bee, the symbols of Upper and Lower Egypt. From the archaeological sources that are available to us, it seems that agriculture was not native to Egypt, but was imported to it from either Mesopotamia or the highlands of Ethiopia to the south. Still, thanks to the Nile, Egypt proved to be the ideal place for this new thing called agriculture, 
as the banks of the Nile provided fertility that was unmatched almost anywhere. How fertile was it? The soil of the Nile was so fertile that one could basically throw the seeds to the ground, wait a couple of months, and the crops would grow. That, coupled with the mildness of the Nile, that made irrigation very easy, allowed for food surpluses that in turn allowed the development of civilization. With agriculture, small farming communities began to form across Egypt, that by around 6000 BC developed to urban settlements. These in turn allowed for the development of increasingly complex societies and the pantheon of deities and gods. Egyptian gods and deities are ancient, and from the evidence we have, so is the Egyptian belief in an afterlife, and as a result, the preparation for it. It seems that initially, every region or tribe had its own god or deity, but as one conquered or absorbed the other, either one deity would replace another, or in most cases, it would simply be incorporated. Slowly, as the consolidation grew, so did the local pantheon. As for the Egyptian writing system, the famous hieroglyphs, they were developed from older symbols that were used for communication before being formed into what we could call a writing system. It dates back to the 32nd century BC, with the oldest decipherable sentence dating to the 28th century BC. Being that hieroglyphs were more than just letters, as they could represent a whole syllable or a concept, from the very beginning, there were hundreds of hieroglyphs, and by the Greco-Roman period, there were more than 5,000. Just like in Mesopotamia, the existence of the Nile as a unifying factor allowed for the development of a local Egyptian civilization, with a shared language, alphabet, culture, economy, and religion. But unlike Mesopotamia, which was open for attack and immigration of people from many neighboring areas, Egypt's geography would prevent the same levels of immigration and would help keep the indigenous Egyptian culture for thousands of years. The process of consolidation culminated in the formation of two kingdoms, one in Upper Egypt and one in Lower Egypt. These two frequently fought one another until the king of Upper Egypt, Narmer, conquered Lower Egypt, and unified the two kingdoms. Wait, or was it Menes? There is an argument as to who was the pharaoh that united the two kingdoms, with Egyptian tradition crediting a king called Menes. But a palette found in 1897 to 1898 called the Narmer Palette is thought to depict a king called Narmer as the first unifier of Egypt. Most Egyptologists believe that Narmer was the same person as Menes, or that Narmer was the founder of the first dynasty of ancient Egypt, while Menes was his successor and the one who would go on to consolidate the dynasty. This unification finally takes us to a period of 30 dynasties, considered by most to encompass ancient Egyptian civilization and culture. These 30 dynasties were recorded by a 3rd century BC Greek-speaking Egyptian priest called Manetho, and are grouped by most modern Egyptologists in the following manner. 1. The Early Dynastic Period, from around 3150 BC to around 2686 BC, starting from the aforementioned unification by Narmer or Menes, and spanning two dynasties, 
the first dynasty and the second dynasty. As mentioned before, culturally and economically, ancient Egypt was mostly unified by the start of this period, which saw the consolidation of political power and the establishment of several key aspects of ancient Egyptian culture that would last for centuries, like the divinity of the king, not pharaoh, which was not used at that period, the evolution of funerary practices, the construction of magnificent mastabas, which would later evolve into the pyramids, and the consolidation of the Egyptian pantheon, with some deities removed, while other rose in importance, with Horus being identified with the king. The capital at first was the city of Thinis, but it seems to have later shared this role with another city, founded according to legend by Menes himself, the city of Memphis. 2. The period known as the Old Kingdom, from around 2686 BC to around 2181 BC, also called the First Golden Age of Ancient Egypt and Age of the Pyramid Builders. This period spanned four dynasties, the Third Dynasty, the Fourth Dynasty, the Fifth Dynasty, and the Sixth Dynasty, and marked what is considered the first hallmark of ancient Egyptian civilization. The kingdom's territory mainly consisted of the Nile and the territory close to it, and some areas of the Sinai Peninsula. The kingdom seems to have largely been a peaceful one, and its posture mainly defensive, with no standing professional army. Weapons consisted of shields, spears, maces, daggers, and most commonly, the bow and arrow. Memphis was made the sole capital during this period, and the position of the king as an absolute ruler and the living god firmly established. The mastabas evolved into the pyramids, most of whom were constructed during this period, mainly for the purpose of being the final resting place of the kings and their consorts. The most famous pyramids are of course those located at Giza, all of whom were constructed, along with the Sphinx, by kings of the 4th dynasty, becoming forever synonymous with ancient Egypt. Their scale, and the fact that they, and many other less known pyramids, have survived to this day, more than 4600 years, is a testament of the greatness of the feat achieved by ancient Egyptians during this period. Even later Egyptian dynasties would look with awe and wonder at these great monuments, the scale of which they weren't able to repeat. During the 6th dynasty, the power of the governors and priesthood increased at the expense of the central authority, leading to the decline of the kingdom and its prosperity, eventually leading to civil strife. Major reasons for these were droughts caused by a severe climactic event, the same one mentioned in episode 3.1 as the main reason for the fall of the Akkadian Empire. Next came the period known as the First Intermediate Period, from around 2181 BC to around 2055 BC. The beginning of this period was marked with the collapse of the central authority of the Old Kingdom, with the kings of the 7th and 8th dynasties having little power or influence beyond the capital of Memphis. Evidence for these two dynasties are so scarce that most scholars view the 7th dynasty as fictitious, and either ignore it, or combine it with the 8th. The 8th dynasty was eventually overthrown by the 9th, which, along with the 10th dynasty, were based in Heracleopolis. These two dynasties controlled much of Lower Egypt and parts of Upper Egypt. However, 
the rulers of one city to the south, called Thebes, not only refused to recognize the claims of the 9th and 10th dynasties, but also challenged their claims of kingship. The 11th dynasty was founded by the governor of Thebes, and was at war with the dynasties to its north most of the time. Mentohotep II, the sixth ruler of the dynasty, managed to defeat and conquer the north, reunify the kingdom, and centralize the state in its new capital, Thebes. The period of the Middle Kingdom, from around 2055 BC to around 1650 BC, is considered as the second golden age of ancient Egypt. This period spanned the 11th dynasty, from Mentohotep II, as well as the 12th dynasty, the 13th dynasty, and the 14th dynasty. The capital of the kingdom was Thebes, before being moved to the purposefully built city of Athitawi. During this period, Osiris rose to become the most important deity. Commercial ties with the Levant, Mesopotamia, Nubia, and more were developed and expanded. Dozens of mining expeditions with thousands of workers were launched. Literature flourished, as attested by the many papyri found, as well as art and architecture. The quality of Egyptian statuary reached its peak in the Middle Kingdom, as well as its abundance, with statues found by archaeologists belonging to the elite and even to the middle class. Funerary practices also changed. While the kings of the 12th dynasty chose to be buried in pyramids, the rulers of the 11th dynasty preferred to be buried in tombs cut into the mountains of Thebes, their native city, or in mortuary temple tombs in the city. As for the later 13th and 14th dynasties, for many we don't have any information regarding their burial sites, with most known ones being buried in tombs in Abydos. From the 12th dynasty onwards, the kingdom had a well-trained standing army. Its weapons weren't that different from those used by the Old Kingdom. Although more expansionist than the Old Kingdom, with military expeditions sent to the south, many to Nubia and some to Canaan to the east, the Middle Kingdom's posture remained mostly defensive. The kingdom's territory was again centered on the Nile, stretching south to the first cataract, but its reach stretched deeper east and west to the desert oases to the west, and to the Red Sea in the east. It also controlled larger swathes of territory in the Sinai Peninsula and the Mediterranean coast than the Old Kingdom. With the ascension of the 13th dynasty, a series of weak rulers allowed yet again for central authority to decline. As governors began acting more independently, a Canaanite-speaking dynasty, the 14th dynasty, rose in the north asserting its independence from the 13th dynasty, which had in the meantime relocated the capital to the more distant and safer Thebes. Canaanite speakers from the northeast had been immigrating to Egypt for decades, being lured, as immigrants have been throughout history, by rumors of the prosperous kingdom to their south. That they were able to form their own dynasty while taking control of large swaths of densely populated territory attests to the scale of this immigration. The seat of power of this little-known dynasty is believed by most modern-day Egyptologists to have been in a city called Avaris. In the south, Egyptian forts and defenses were abandoned, soon to be occupied by Nubian troops of the rising kingdom of Kush. To add to this turmoil, 
there is evidence that famine and drought also hit, further weakening both dynasties. This made them an easy prey for a new people invading from Canaan, the Hyksos. So, who were the Hyksos? The Hyksos were a Semitic-speaking people from Western Asia. In Egyptian, the word Hyksos means rulers of foreign countries. They may have been the ones who introduced the horse to Egypt. Armed with the composite bow and the war chariot, both of which they introduced to Egypt, their armies destroyed both dynasties, taking control of Lower and much of Upper Egypt, initiating the period known as the Second Intermediate Period. The Second Intermediate Period, from around 1650 BC to 1550 BC, was also called the Hexos Period. The sources available for this period are scarce and lack detail. The Hexos established the 15th dynasty, ruling from Avaris. They conquered and sacked Memphis, which, although not the capital, remained very important to the Egyptians, culturally and economically. The Hexos seems to have preferred to consolidate their rule in the north, making no serious attempt on Upper Egypt beyond raids. I will mention here that it seems that despite their attempts to blend in and the relative acceptance of the natives of their rule, the Hexos were always seen as foreigners and invaders by the native Egyptian. In Thebes, after the fall of the 13th dynasty, another native dynasty took its place, the 16th. This dynasty's main concern was the threat and conflict with the Hyksos, with relations between the two ranging from it being relatively independent to being a vassal and paying tribute. Eventually, however, it seems that the Hyksos were triumphant, destroying the 16th dynasty and sacking Thebes. This, however, would prove to be their undoing. With the fall of the 16th dynasty, a new dynasty took its place in Thebes, the 17th. This dynasty was able to drive off the Hexos from Upper Egypt, assert their independence, and challenge the Hexos' claim of rule over Egypt. With the rise of King, hold on for a bit as I try to pronounce it as correctly as possible, Saknara Ta'a the Brave, he attacked the Hexos, starting what is today known as the Theban War of Liberation. I will end this episode here with the start of the war that would end with the expulsion of the Hexos by our next great conqueror, who was the son or grandson of Saknan Ra'ata'a, Ahmos I, who would go on to establish the 18th dynasty of Egypt, launching the next and perhaps the greatest of Egyptian periods, the New Kingdom, otherwise known as the Egyptian Empire. Before I finish, I'll just mention that after the New Kingdom, there were two more periods. The Third Intermediate Period, from around 1069 BC to around 664 BC, and the final period of Ancient Egypt, the Late Period, from around 1664 BC to around 332 BC, a period which ended with the conquest of Egypt by Alexander the Great, ushering in the Hellenistic Period. Thank you all for listening to the Conquerors Podcast. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it and press the subscribe button. Your reviews and comments are most welcome. You can leave them on the podcast's Facebook page called The Conquerors Podcast, a YouTube channel with the same name, or on iTunes or any platform you guys use to listen. You can also contact me directly at 
theconquerorspodcast at gmail.com. Join me next time for the story of Ahmos the First. Ahmos the First